Okay. Let's find a seat. Let's find a seat. How many made a new friend? Hold your hand up. New friend. Awesome. Lord, thank you for your word that it never changes. Lord, it's liberating and it's accurate. So teach us today. And I welcome all of our friends here and people watching online, wherever they are. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 14. If you're new to the church, we're going chapter by chapter in the book of Revelation. And while you're looking for that, let me just mention something. You have the chance to vote. And I believe as a Christian, I pray all of us vote. Every uh, time to vote is important. We have liberties and freedom that many people around the world don't have. So we as Christians need to be good stewards of that that's coming up. And I want to mention something because people have asked me, well, what about this amendment uh, number two? Tell me about it. Well, this is literally what it says. It's very short. It's very brief. It's to the point. It says... To protect human life, nothing in the Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect the right to abortion and require the funding of abortion. Well, what does that mean, Steve? Well, this is what it means. I am voting for it. And uh, it means because of this, if, if the citizens of Kentucky vote... Unborn babies will be saved. Maybe thousands of unborn babies. Next, my tax dollars will not go to taking the lives of the innocent. And your tax dollars. And third, it is the people of a state that will decide this, not one judge who has an agenda, who is unelected. That's what this means. So uh, just to give you a heads up, at a rate of five to one, outside groups are pouring in a lot of money to our state for uh, advertising. I think they're kind of deceptive. Folks like Planned Parenthood and ACLU, And it reminds me of something, uh, one of my heroes, Billy Sunday, he was like the first Billy Graham. He said this, uh, if the devil is for something, I'm automatically against it. So I think it kind of applies. So you vote your choice uh, November 8th. I would ask you to protect innocent life. You can pick up a yard sign today if there are some left. If you have questions, you can go on the website of the Family Foundation of Kentucky and you can get more information, okay? You got it? Now, let's go back to the book of Revelation. If you're, if you're just now cluing into this study, what are the purposes behind the overarching purpose of the book of Revelation. What is God up to in the last days? I think there's three answers to that. One, he's going to put a lot of pressure on humanity. We've already gone through a lot of that. 
And the goal is because God is good and God is merciful, he's going to put pressure to cause men to repent of their sin and turn to him before it's too late. There will be a time when it is too late. People cannot repent. People cannot turn to Christ because the door is shut. The second reason his heart is to judge and deal with Satan once and for all. And the empire of the Antichrist that is coming, when is it coming? I don't know if it's 40 years or four years. I have no idea. But the time clock is ticking and to deal with all rebellion permanently. That's a good thing. And the last thing is to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the theme of the book. It's the revelation not of John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? So you with me so far? Now, uh, I just want to make this clear. There's a lot of this I don't understand. I'm growing with you. But my goal is to tell you what Jesus said and what the scriptures say. That's my goal. Uh, what I think about something is not that important. You say, well, Steve, I've always thought that. Very good. Wonderful. <laughs> Makes me feel warm and fuzzy. So let's read. Let's start with the passage. If I can find my little glasses here. <clears throat> Chapter 14, starting at verse number 1. John writes, Then I looked, behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. Everyone say, stood the Lamb. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a brand new song before the throne and before the four living creatures. We've studied them. And before the elders, we've studied them. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed. Everyone say redeemed. Redeemed from mankind as a first fruit for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth there was no lie found for they are blameless. So with the devil's final push, last three and a half years of the tribulation time of seven years, he is doing all he can to destroy as much as he can and to take people down with him because he knows what his destination is. Now, the key to the whole passage is verse one. You should go to sleep thinking about this phrase. Say it with me, please. The lamb is still. One more time. The lamb is one more time, the lamb is still standing. What does that mean? We'll talk about it. Why is Jesus called a lamb? Because he willingly laid his life down to be a sacrifice for you and me. 
That's why he's called the Lamb of God. That's one of the pictures of the Lord Jesus. He is indeed the Passover Lamb. In Egypt, where they took the blood of the one-year-old male lamb and put it on the doorpost and on the lentil. So when the death angel came to punish the Egyptians, he would see the blood and do what? Pass over their home. And then he is the one who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist saw him coming and pointed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the long-awaited Messiah. Unto us is born a child. Unto us a son is given. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. And he is the king of all kings. We'll study this phrase in chapter 19 when he comes back with the armies of heaven and with his armor on his thigh is this title written. Of all the kings, he is the king. And that's the one I want to throw in my weight behind. He is the Lord. Everyone say the Lord. He is the Lord Jesus and he still stands. We celebrate that on Easter morning. He still stands for you. And he still stands for me. And you need to go to sleep tonight thinking he's standing. He has won. He is the victor. Now, this is every, remember, every phrase is important in Scripture. Where does John see him standing? Look at your Bible. Where does it say? He's right here. He will be standing on Mount Zion. I've been to Jerusalem about six different times. And this is the highest point of the ancient city of David, Mount Zion. So John sees him standing there. It's also David's capital. David called it the city of David. He is a direct descendant of the, of the godly king, King David. And this place, Mount Zion, is the center of all the earth. If you just go, where's the center of the earth? It's Mount Zion, my guess. You can see in the map on the screen, you see the old city. You see the Temple Mount. You see the Valley Kidron. And then you see at the bottom left, you see Mount Zion. And this is where John sees the Lamb, the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. And from Mount Zion, this is the center of his millennial reign. Millennium means what? A thousand. So after he comes back and vanquishes the devil and all evil, he will reign on this planet for a thousand years right from that spot. Someone say praise God. Now, the fact that the lamb is seen standing, and this is the symbol for the Moravian missions and prayer movement. The German Christians that prayed nonstop, 24 hours a day in shifts for a 100 years, that launched one of the first missions, this was their theme. 
Because they took it from this passage and other ones that he is the lamb that conquers. He is victorious. And every pastor, at least once a month, should show a photo of Mike Tyson knocking someone senseless. Because the last one standing is the one that wins the fight. Amen? Amen. And Jesus is the last one standing. It wasn't even a fair fight. And he has all authority. He calls the shots. He has authority on earth, in heaven, and even under the earth. And he is dominant. Everyone's arms are too short to box with him. And he will destroy every single foe because he owns it all. Not some of it. He owns it all. And he's coming back to claim it because Satan has the short-term lease on it. It goes back from Adam and Eve. Adam forfeited the, the right to the planet, but Jesus owns a planet and he's coming back to claim his ownership. Now, the, the passage switches here. We see something that we studied earlier, and that is 144,000 literal people. Sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses, this is not you. These are Jewish converts that become, during this time, the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. Imagine 144,000 milligrams. Imagine 144,000 tough soul winners like the Apostle Paul. And they come from all the 12 tribes. You say, well, I thought... A lot of the Jewish people don't even know what tribe they're from. We don't even know where some of these tribes are. Jesus knows where they are. And they will wake up one day and realize, wow, Jesus is the Messiah. And I need to serve him. And they will hear his voice and they will serve him. Now, this is a guess. I don't know if I'm right or not. My guess is they've been so faithful in sharing the gospel to the unreached peoples of the earth that we've seen the greatest revival in earth's history and many if not most of these have paid for that with their lives. And this is where John sees them. And what are they doing with Jesus? What are they doing? They are standing with Jesus. And I want to ask you, are you standing with Jesus? Have you made the decision to stand and stand with no other? And to be faithful to him against everything that comes your way. No matter who else quits, you're not going to quit because you're going to stand with him. And in this passage we read, they are lost in the most glorious worship as they worship the lamb. And John noticed something wonderful. Each one of them have the name of the lamb on their forehead, which indicates who they belong to. Now, you ask me questions about that. I will say, I don't know. Is the name visible or invisible? I do not know. 
But Jesus knows who they are and they know who they belong to. And this is in contrast to later verses with people that get snookered and tricked by the Antichrist who get his name on their forehead or on their arm. So, have you been marked by Jesus? Have you been marked by Jesus? Do you belong to him? Amen. Amen. I've been marked. I've been marked for 50 years. Now, Jesus said seven things about the 144,000. I think it's fascinating to think about them. Let's just go right through them. First, John hears a thundering, powerful voice from heaven. I think it is the Lamb. And the Lamb is declaring these seven things. One is they have a new song. Everyone say new song. A brand new song given to them that only those servants are allowed to sing. And there are things that the Lord will allow you to do that he won't allow anybody else to do. Because you're special. You're called. You are unique. And those have been redeemed. Everyone say the word redeemed. Redeemed means they have been bought back. They've been liberated. They have been purchased. Paul said you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Glorify the Lord because you belong to somebody else. And next, they are spiritual virgins. Now, the text says they've never been with a woman. And that could be, that could be an issue. My guess is they're probably spiritual virgins in the sense the scripture equates idolatry with spiritual adultery. And these are so dedicated, they are not going to waver with their commitment to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. They've kept themselves chaste because they want to fulfill their missions. They're not going to deviate. And then the scripture says they follow the Lamb. Everyone say follow. Well, it's not easy, but it's simple. Follow Jesus. Follow me, Jesus said. And I'll make you fishers of men, women, boys, and girls. And that's one of the first things he speaks to people. Will you follow me? Are you in? Will you belong? And then we see this. They are first fruits to God. First fruits to the Lamb. This is a picture from the Old Testament. Because the Hebrews were taught, I want to bless you. I've given you land, I've given you flocks, I've given you fruit trees, I've given you wheat crops. And so here's what you to do. Always bring the first to me. Honor me with the tenth. And these people, I don't know if they are a tenth, but they're seen by the Lord as a holy offering. And that's what you and I are. The firstborn was dedicated to the Lord. The first of our time is important to the Lord. The first of our money is important to the Lord. The first of our passions are important to the Lord. And these people, probably men and women, are the first of a great harvest that is coming during this time. And I want to add this. They are seen by 
Jesus as precious. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're pretty precious. Go ahead and just say, you're precious. If you don't know him, that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Say, you're precious to the Lord. You are special. You are holy, which means you're set apart. You're different from everything else. It's a special relationship. And that's, you know, I don't, no matter how you were raised or how you were hurt or how you were rejected or how you were neglected or abused, heaven thinks of you this way. And heaven loves you so much. And you are special to him. And you have a mission for him. And these 144,000, because they're the first of the harvest, they have a responsibility in the harvest. And you have a responsibility for the harvest. What's your role? What's my role? Then the scripture says there was no deceit or falsehood found in their mouths. Have you ever told a lie? Have you developed a habit of not telling the truth? If so, you kind of listen to the father of lies who invented lying, and we don't want to go there. We want to be truthful. Our yes be yes, and our no be no. I thoroughly confused the first service. I said, let your yes be yes, and your yes be no. I went, what? They looked at me like, what? And then they're blameless. The scripture says they're blameless. And I want to say not sinless. There's only one sinless one, but they're blameless. Well, Steve, what do you mean? They keep the old Christians a generation ago used to talk about keeping short accounts. You ever heard of that? Keeping short accounts, which means that when you mess up, you know you messed up and you ask the Lord's forgiveness and then you do the right thing. That's called keeping short accounts. They keep their hearts right. The guy that mentored me, he was only 26. When he left me to go to Georgia to get a PhD in counseling, he put his hands on me and he said, Lord, may Steve, I was only, I guess I was 19. Keep Steve from ever being down for more than half a day. Keep Steve from ever being in rebellion for more than a half a day. After half a day, he is just so sick of his sin, he just repents quickly. And that's pretty much how it's played out. We want to be quick to repent. Now, the passage turns starting in the next verse. Verse 6, I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God. Everyone say fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs and the water. And then verse 8, another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, if you look in the Greek for, for angel, it's the same word for messenger. So these three super beings are sent to deliver three 
critical messages. How critical are they? About as important as anything you'll hear for a while. Pretty important. The first angel was flying in mid-heaven. I guess they are layers to heaven, the heavens we see here. The heavens where God dwells and a mid-heaven in between. And so they were flying in this mid-heaven. And my guess is so everyone could see and everyone could hear. And he shouted this. The eternal gospel must be preached and must be shared with all. I'm so grateful for the gospel of Jesus, the good news that Jesus saves and changes us forever and gives us a home in heaven. I want to show you something with my hand. I've shown it, shown you this before. If you look at the history of the church, if you look at the growth, conversion growth of the body of Christ since the time of the first century, Watch my hand. It's kind of grown like this. Gradual growth. Gradual growth. Some down, some up. Gradual growth. And I may be wrong, but it's about 1985, 1990. Watch my hand. It started doing this. That tells me something. That Jesus is getting closer to coming back. And the things we're reading is very, very important. About 10,000 people a day are coming to Christ in Latin America. About 20,000 people a day are coming to Christ in Africa. There are probably more black Christians than there are white Christians today. About 30,000 people a day are becoming Christians in China. God is moving powerfully. America and Europe, we're way behind. But we see people come to Christ here. And you should want to see people come to Christ. And you should learn to share your faith with people. Tell them about the hope within you. Now this is, I want to tell you, the hardest person I've ever shared the gospel with. And I've shared the gospel with a few people. Hardest person. Hardest conversation. It was with this man right here. That is my father, Warren Pearson. How many have tried to talk about Jesus to family members? Is that easy or not so easy? This is a picture of my mom and dad later in life. Dad went home to be with the Lord in 1996. So how this happened, I came to Christ in 1972 in May It was late summer. I was on fire for Jesus. I was sharing my faith. I was already leading Bible studies. I was drawing people to small groups and stuff. But I was really burdened for my own dad. I never saw him read the Bible. I never saw him pray. He was a good moral man. I never saw him drink. I never saw him swear. He was faithful to my mother for 49 years. 
but he was just a good moral man. And he made the boys go to church all the time. He went with us, but I just didn't know where he stood. He smoked cigarettes like a freight train, thanks to the U.S. Army, who gave every GI two packs of cigarettes during World War II. And my two grandfathers I never met because they died prematurely. And I would hear my dad sleep at night and I would hear his lungs rattle from all that smoking. And I just thought, I had a fear since I was a little boy that my dad would die early. And I didn't know what to do about it. I sure didn't have confidence in me talking to anybody about Jesus, even though I was already leading people to Jesus. I didn't know how I was doing it. So on our small farm one night, I was going out to do youth ministry or something. I was 18, been Christian five or six months. And my dad said, hey, would you help me tonight? I said, well, sure, what you need? He said, we had somebody run through a horse fence and I need some help putting it back. Would you help me? I said, sure, I'll do it. And I thought, oh, devious Steve. I thought, oh, okay. I said, I will under one condition. What's that? Let's sit on the front porch and let's talk. Can we talk? He said, that's a deal. So after we fixed the fence, we sat on the porch in some old rocking chairs. I went inside and got some South Carolina tea that will rot your teeth out in 30 minutes. We sat on the front porch drinking tea. And he said, what do you want to talk about? I said, I've grown up in your house. 18 years, and we don't even know each other. Then he started joking. What do you mean? You're Steve and I'm dead. I said, no, 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 no. You've never shared your heart with me. And I've had a big change, and you probably don't understand what's happened to me. He said, okay, so? I said, well, Dad, I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid that if you die of a heart attack, since that's in our family... You've never told me where you stand with Christ. I went, oh man, I got that out. I probably just messed it up. He said, well, now that you ask, I was 16. I knew his father abandoned the family and he was raised by a single mother. He said, when I was 16 in my little Southern Baptist church, we had a revival and an evangelist came through. And when I was 16, I walked forward and gave my heart to Jesus. I had two emotions. One, I was so excited. I was so joyful. I said, Dad, that's great. And then immediately I had another emotion. I was mad as a bee. I said, what? Excuse me, reverence. Why have you let me grow up in your house and be a party fool and your other son a party fool and both of us drunks and do wicked things and almost become a Buddhist or a Satanist or a complete hedonist or even, I didn't tell him I thought about taking my life. Why didn't you tell me? At that time, men were never taught to read the Bible and pray. Here's the good news. 
My father got on fire for Jesus after that. He started reading his Bible. He started praying with me. He no longer just went to church. He went to grow and learn. And he was proud of your little pastor. Whenever he would come up here. And I can't wait to see him. I did my own dad's funeral. I can't wait to see him. So I, do you have people you're burdened for? And you never even tried to talk to him about Jesus? Don't wait till it's too late. Now, Jesus, through John, warned the people that they needed to fear God. And here's another family picture. On our small farm, we had a couple of farms. We raised Hereford or white-faced cattle. This is not the exact picture, but we always had a bull. The first bull I remembered, his name was Bo. And Bo weighed about a ton. And Bo had an attitude. He was, I had my own cattle. My dad gave my brother and I a heifer and we raised our own little herds. I always had money till I got married. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but Bo was different. You could hang out with the calves. You could hang out with the yearlings, even though they might try to butt you. The cows are okay, even though I've been chased and kicked and stepped on by a cow. But Bo was different. You just didn't walk out in his territory because it was his territory and he always had an attitude. And I want to ask you something. What does a 2,000 pound animal do? Anything he wants. There was a respect we had for Bo. I had a friend in ministry that we served together for two years and he had a farm. He had cattle and he had a bull, but he made a mistake. He trusted his bull when he was in a pen with him. He turned his back to open a gate and the bull killed him. Do you fear God? Do you respect him above everything else? Write this in the margin somewhere. To fear God means supreme respect. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Supreme respect. And then the angel said the hour of judgment had arrived, which meant the time is drawing to a close where people can repent. It's like going to airport in Atlanta or Chicago and you're running late and you're running through the airport and you get there. Here's the deal. Their policy, if their door closes, you're not getting on. And the door is closing and you can beg, you can plead, you're not getting in. And then the second angel declared that Babylon, not the place in Iraq, which will have significance down the road, but Babylon is referred to as the worldwide system the Antichrist puts in place for political, religious, military, and economic control. And the Lord is saying, I'm about done with you too. 
and you're going to sink like a rock. You're going to sink like the Titanic because I'm kind of done tolerating the deceit, the murder, the manipulation and seduction. I'm kind of done with you guys. And that's good news. Now turn with me. Let's read a little further. This is the hardest part. I'd like to skip it, but I can't skip it because you need to know it's here. So let me just read it. Verse number nine, another angel, a third followed him saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, who's the beast? Sorry, who's the beast? The Antichrist. And its image, its image, it'll put, be put in Jerusalem in the third temple and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. You say, do you believe this, Steve? This is what Jesus said. It will happen. He will drink of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever because they have no rest day or night. This is important. Those who worship the beast and its image, whoever receives a mark on his name. Now, we talked about this two weeks ago. We don't know what this means. We don't know what that number 666 means. But we do know where it will be. It will be an invisible or invisible mark. I had somebody... Last week, come to me, who is a scientist that works in industry here, and they showed me an apparatus that will embed a very tiny tracking device in the hand. And the pressure is going to be on. If you can't work, You can't register a car. You can't buy a car. You can't buy groceries. You can't get gas. You can't go to the university. You can't go to the ER. You can't have surgery. You can't enroll your kids in school. Because if you do not play with this empire, you're not allowed. But I want to say, and it's worth doing this whole series. It's worth this passage. Don't take it. There will be underground resistance. There will be whole nations that will say no. And Christians, those that are here need to say no. Because you will receive, those people that do this will receive the full wrath of the cup of God's fury. That's the words of Jesus. It's been filling since the Garden of Eden. And there comes a time when God the Father, because he is holy is saying, I'm not putting up with this anymore. Wickedness is done. I'm going to deal with all of this. And instead of fellowship with the Father, they will be eternally separated from the Father and everything good because they chose this. The Spirit of God is convicting people on the planet. The Word is being preached. God is speaking to people, and you have a choice to say yes, or you can say, I'm good. I don't need you. And those that have rejected His mercy, and those who've 
received the mark and worshipped the beast, they will find themselves in a place of torment forever and ever. This should cause us to want to live holy lives so we can share the gospel. This should cause us to share, to want to do all we can for missions. This should cause us to love our neighbors and get to know people. This should cause us to want to be good at sharing the good news with people. Now, let me tell you what Jesus said, okay? These are the words of Christ. This place, the lake of fire or hell, was created for the devil and those rebels, never for man. But there's only two places. There's not three. There's not four. You're just not going to go to sleep. You will be in one of two places and these people have no rest day and night. What does this mean, Pastor? I do not know. I do not want to know. Here's what the Lord told Ezekiel the prophet. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure. Say it with me, please. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Instead, I take pleasure when people repent and they turn around and they walk with me and obey me. So please, 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 the Spirit of God says live. Well, pastor, I don't like hearing this. Guess what? I don't like having to say it. I'd rather not say it. I don't have a choice. Jesus didn't like saying it either. He did everything he could to keep people out of this place. The scripture says, are you listening? It's not my will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Well, that's not fair. Hey, there's nothing here that says fair. It's about mercy. Do you want it or not? For instance, do you think God the Father would let an unregenerate, unrepentant, idolatrous rebel, which is what I used to be. Do I have any rebels in here that used to be rebels? Okay, that was me. Walk the streets of a glorious heaven created for God's beloved children uh no if you're unrepentant unregenerate still rebellion i don't see that happening and people who wish to be free of god this is the most horrible thing i've ever seen and it's a wounded person, mad at God. I wish he was my neighbor. I would love him. 
and I would serve him. But people that have told God all their life, leave me alone. I'm not listening. I'm going to control my own life. And so bug off, Holy Spirit. Stop speaking to me, Holy Spirit. Well, there will come a time they will have their wish. And that breaks my heart. Now let's look at the last part. It's the most encouraging part. Let's not stop there. Let's read the last three verses. Are you with me? Look at the last three verses. Here is a call. Verse number 12. For the endurance. Everyone say endurance. Endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments. And their faith in Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, for they may rest. Everyone say rest <clears throat> from their labors and their deeds will follow them. So Jesus ends this with five awesome, encouraging words. One, you need endurance. And he wants his people to have endurance. You get up the next day and you walk with God. And then you get up the day after that and you walk walk with God. You keep walking with God all your life. He calls endurance and perseverance the same word. We need to develop that. Check out Romans 5, 3 through 5. Why do bad things happen to good people? Read those verses and memorize them. Don't be brittle like a pear tree in the wind. Be tender on the inside, but don't be soft in your reserve, in your character. Don't be weak spiritually. Don't be someone that only prays occasionally when you get in trouble. Have the best character, the character of the Lord Jesus, not poor character, driven by the flesh. Feed on the scriptures. Don't be ignorant of the scriptures. And I pray this is helpful. You don't have to be perfect to be a child of God. You don't have to be perfect to serve God. We're all flawed. We never get it perfectly right. But what do I do? Just keep growing in the Lord. Be stronger tomorrow. Be closer tomorrow. Walk in greater holiness tomorrow. Repent quickly. And all of us in this room, we're as strong as we want to be. You make the call. Keep his commandments. Do the right thing. The Holy Spirit will tell you what the right thing is. Do the right thing. Do what pleases him, not what pleases you. Walk by faith. Worship team, would you guys come out, please? Walk by faith. Most Christians live by their feelings. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, feelings have nothing to do with it. Do the right thing. Because feelings come and go. And remember... When a follower of Christ dies, what did Jesus say it was? Does anybody remember? 
blessed. Your last day is your best day. Your last breath is your greatest breath. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, heart is not comprehended what the Lord is prepared for you, for those that love his name. Now, just because death is a wonderful thing, don't go early, right? Live a long time, fight a good fight. Keep the faith. Impact as many people as you can in the time that you got on this planet because you will be honored when you get to heaven for everything you did for Jesus. And then life will be starting, just starting the way it was always meant to be. This is not the real life. The real life is the next life. And the scriptures say, scriptures say they have rest. Everyone say rest. Isn't that a wonderful word? Rest. No more pushing. No more striving. No more competing. No more failing. Lord, rest. Rest from the darkness of this world. Rest from battling my selfish flesh. flesh. Rest from the onslaught of unclean spirits that try to mess with me every day. Rest from addiction. Rest from being brokenhearted. Rest from hurt. And I even like this one because I keep having birthdays. And from the frailty of our bodies. Rest. Because you're going to get a new body. Jesus will keep you until that time comes. But it's going to be good to have a new body one day that doesn't age. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy, burdened, I will give you rest. He's the rest giver. There's a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And I love this. I've thought about this. I've read it for years. I had no idea what he meant by it. Our works will follow us. What's that mean? We had two funerals this week. Two godly men that went home to be with the Lord took their last breath and they were celebrated, remembered by their families this week. It means this, that long after you have left the planet, the ripple effect of your devotion to Christ your service to others will be revealed and continue to grow, 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 grow. I want to close with this. I'd rejected the church, hated Christians, didn't like preachers. That's the biggest joke. Now I are one. And somebody got me to go to my home church because a woman who was a prayer warrior was going to be speaking for four days. I did not want to go, but I was taught in the South, you should never be rude to somebody that's been good to your family. And so when Rita said, would you come to hear Louise Eggleston? I kind of went, yes, I'd love to come. Thank you very much. 
I was a lost 18-year-old boy. And I waited halfway through the service purposely because I didn't want to go. And the whole room was filled and there was one seat right there. I got set up. And the first time I heard her speak, the Holy Spirit said, this is what you've been thirsting for right here. And the last night she was there, even though she never said anything, she never gave an invitation. I quietly by myself gave my heart to Christ and it changed me and my whole family. Now here's the crazy part of the story. She never shook my hand. She never prayed with me. She never talked to me. I wanted to, but there was always a crowd around her after every service. And she drove off. She and her her friend drove back to Virginia Beach 10 hours. And she may have said to herself, that was a waste of time. I didn't help anybody in that dead little town, that dead little church. The devil was probably yelling at her. You're too old to be doing this. Let a man do it. Let a young person do it. Instead, Louise heard the Holy Spirit say, go to South Carolina, go to that church. Tell them about me. I heard later on, somebody broke into her house, cut her up and killed her. But I'm so grateful that she came to my little church because I found Jesus. And talking about the ripple effect, maybe she knows now because she's probably checks out the internet up there, you know? But for 50 years, her love for Jesus and her help in me has had a ripple effect. For 50, for 50 years. And when the scripture says your works come after you, it's an encouragement to know every day is important. So let's close this, Tom. There's so much in this passage, Lord. Thank you that you speak faithfully to your people, that your spirit is a teacher. And Lord, I would just ask that today you would do your finest works in the hearts of people. And Lord, they will come and do business with you at the altar. They'll kneel and confess, ask for a refreshing, ask for a turning of their heart. And maybe there's folks here that are not right with God and people watching online. And if you would like to take the next step, pray with me a simple prayer that I prayed that changed my life. Just pray with me right where you are and as you watch and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart today and be my Savior and Lord. I give you my life today. Make me your child and give me a home in heaven and I will serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open. Come and do business with the Lord.
as you're making your way to the altar, uh, we're going to sing a song. Um, you won't know the words to it. Uh, the words will be on the screen, but you've probably never heard it before. It's one that I've written. Um, just let the words, just just listen to the words and sing the words. It's a pretty catchy one, um, easy to sing. So just sing along.
you, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And Jesus, we say yes to you. Lord, we choose to stand with you and we choose to be sent out by you. And Lord, we choose to proclaim your good news to the world. Lord, your word says that the the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. And so, Lord, in response to that, we say, yes, Lord, send us into the harvest. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that is living inside of us. We ask you that you will continue to empower us to bring the light of Christ into this world. Lord, even in this upcoming week when we're going back into our workplaces and our homes and our neighborhoods and our communities, Lord, let us bring the light of Christ. Let us bring the word of Christ. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to receive prayers, we have some prayer team up front. Uh, Please feel free to come. Please go and pick up your children. Have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you are encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take the next step. Please visit our website for more information on upcoming events and how you can connect with our COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.